0: Uh, my name is Zach, if you haven't met me, I'm a uh, training minister here. I'll be preaching this morning from Matthew 17. So do turn down your Bibles, Matthew 17. We're in the middle of a, a series in Matthew. So do turn there. Uh, Jesus has just been on the mountain uh, where he has tasted the glory he's going to have uh, after the cross. If he goes to the cross and uh, his disciples with him have also tasted the glory they'll have if they deny themselves and follow Christ. And he's just come back down from the mountain, and this is what he finds. Matthew 17, verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire, and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, A faithless and twisted generation, How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith, but truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And as they're gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day and they were greatly distressed. Let me pray for us. Our uh, Father, we pray that you would uh, give us your spirit without measure this morning, uh, shine the light of your gospel into our hearts, where our, hard, where our hearts are hard. Uh, we pray, Father, that you might suffer them for us uh, by your spirit's work and help us see uh, amazing things uh, from your word. Uh, we pray in his name and for his glory. Amen. We suffer from delusion. We suffer from delusion. I wonder if that's what you want to hear this morning. You come uh, to church to be, to be fed and to be built up. Um, coronavirus is hitting us all hard. And you hear we suffer from delusion. I'm not just talking about the world out there. You don't know God, you deny that he exists. Yes then, but we, Christians, suffer from Delusion. Why do we need to hear that this morning? Well, it's very simple truth that in order to be healed, you need to know you're sick. In order to go to the hospital, you need to know there's something wrong. Uh, what is our delusion? That's the key question. What is our delusion? Uh, it's this. We believe we can do what we cannot do. We believe we can do what we cannot do. We believe that the impossible for us is possible. As I said, Jesus has just descended at the mountain He's come and found utter chaos. He's come from the the top of glory and descended into a valley of misery. And a man comes up to him, runs up to him, kneels before him, a desperate man. And he comes with two miseries. The first misery is this. He has a son who is suffering from demon possession. He says, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's an epileptic, uh, more properly, a, a lunatic. He's crazy he tries to destroy himself. He's under the influence of evil. He throws himself into fire and throws himself into water. Please help him. That is his first misery. Now, the second misery is this. I have this son, and he is desperately ill. I brought him to your disciples. And they failed to help. They failed to heal him. You can just just imagine, he's a man who's heard about the Lord Jesus. He's a man who's heard about what he can do and always, gang, and the disciples, can do. And he's full of hope. And he comes and they have failed him. I wonder if you know that personally. Maybe you've suffered physically. And you've been told, that, that is the doctor. Or that is the exercise. Or that is what you need to do. And you try it. And there's no result. And your misery is more than it was before. And across the centuries, across the years of the church, the hundreds of years, there have been tens of thousands of people like this father, desperate men and women who have come to the church and have gone away damaged, have gone away disillusioned and disappointed. That might even be a personal experience for you, you've gone to a church previously, and gone away from it, damaged. Or it might be that you're someone who's invited someone to church with you, and you see how you failed them. You can think of someone you brought to church, and then they've gone away disillusioned after they've heard the gospel. And that's the right feeling, isn't it? When the church fails, when the church hurts people, it is right that hits us hard and makes us feel sick. It's right that feels horrible. Uh, But it's not a place we can stay. We can't wallow in our failings as Christians and as a church. We need to dig deeper and see why we fail. We begin to see uh, a problem. We begin to see a problem with the disciples in verse 17. Uh, Because Jesus responds to the man. He falls on his knees before Christ. He responds quite a startling. He responds with a startling response, doesn't he? Uh, This is the Jesus, who we know is tender to sinners. This is the Jesus who, he says, describes his heart, his very self, as gentle and lowly. This is the Jesus who, uh, when a crowd gathers, which is harassed and helpless, the Jesus who is compassionate and teaches them. And this is the Jesus who responds almost in frustration, almost in anger, you could say. He says, a faithless and twisted generation, his response To be clear, is isn't first directed at the Father. It's directed at uh, the disciples. He says, how long am I to be with you? He's saying to them, I've been with you for so long. You've had my presence. You've had words from my lips. You've seen all that I've done. How long do you respond to that? Uh, That's not just the disciples. It extends out to um, the whole generation. Uh, Because if the disciples who who have had the most exposure to Christ, disciples who have heard the most from the Lord Jesus, who have seen the most of what he's done, are not responding properly, and that's a, that's a condemnation uh, on the rest of the generation. What hope have they got if disciples are not responding? And we initially see that uh, surface level failure is this, that they didn't bring the boy to Christ. Who was Jesus say next? He said, bring him to me. How long am I to be with you? Bring him to me. That's what they should have done. And then in verse 18, it's a very simple verse. He just rebukes the demon. And the demon flees. Jesus speaks, and the demon goes. instant. Jesus showed for us, look, I, I have the power. But why didn't you bring him to me? Why did you think that you had the power? And already, we're we're beginning to taste. Well, why we fail? Why the church? Fails they don't bring people immediately to the Lord Jesus. The key, key exposing question, or verse even, is verse 19, where the disciples ask this question, they which Jesus privately, away from, from the ears of others, and, and say, why could we not cast it out? Now, on one level, the, the right to be perplexed, um, because Jesus had previously given them the authority to cast out demons. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. He said, go and cast out demons. Uh, and from the other Gospels, Mark and Luke, we know that the disciples have previously cast out demons without Christ there. Uh, so something they have done in the past, but now they part and they go to Christ and say, why can we cast it out? You just imagine the Father comes to them and Jesus is up the mountain this desperate case, and think, ah, finally our our chance to shine. Our chance for, not only our our Jesus to look powerful, but a a chance for his his people, his disciples, his church to look powerful. Uh, I wonder if you hear that. A chance uh, for self-glory. And what did they fail to realise? The power was not in them. They believed they could do what they could not do. What caused their previous success was not their own power in them, it was Christ in them. And we, that question they ask, that, that same question is often on our lips, isn't it? I don't know if you know it. Why, why can't I defeat that sin? Why can't I conquer my anger? Why can't I conquer my pride or my lust? Or maybe differently, why can't I be one who powerfully evangelises? why can't I, when I speak the gospel, why don't, why don't people come running to the Lord Jesus? Or why can't I be the one who is the pillar uh, of my church, who stands strong and supports everyone around me? Or, or more deeply, why can't I be the one who helps my friends who suffer and struggle? And there's pain in those questions, there's pain in the disciples' voice, but why can we... Do it. The reason is the power is not in us. It's not in our ability. If we rely on ourselves, we fail. We suffer from delusion. And we think that to do what Christ asks us to do, there's some inherent power in us to do it. It's not us who has the power, it's Christ. Christ has the power. And all that we see see them doing as Christians, every jot, Flows no, from and only from Christ. I, I wonder if you know um, a poem called Footprints in the Sand. It's a poem where a man tells the dream he had and he's walking along the beach and he looks behind him and he sees two, set, two sets of footprints. Um, and one set is his set and one set is God's set. But every now and then he looks more closely and he sees one set of footprints. Uh, and he says to God, those are my hardest times. There's only one set. Where were you? You walk beside me the rest of the time, but where were you? Uh, in the poem, um, God said, that's the time I picked you up and carried you. Now, one says it's quite a nice poem. Uh, and, and one level, it has not too bad a message. Uh, but it does communicate something pretty harmful in the end. It says that in the Christian life, we're basically self-reliant. God walks beside us. And then we really need him. When he gets really desperate. When we gets really weak. Then God picks us up. That's not true. There's no power in us to do anything in the Christian life. To evangelise, to defeat sin. Anything. But Christ has the power. And that's the good news. The good news is this. What we cannot do. What we cannot do can be done. What we cannot do can be done. Verse 20, Jesus responds um, to the disciples' question. And he says, why can't you do it? Because of your little faith. Uh, there's a bit of a paradox in what he says next. He says, why can't you do it? Well, because of your little faith. But what you really need, what you really need is mustard seed faith. Like you know what mustard seed is, it's a tiny little seed. It's one of the smallest things Jesus could use to describe faith. He says to disciples, you couldn't do it because you had little faith. But what you really need, well, is tiny little faith. So what's the difference in that paradox? What's the difference between the disciples' faith and the faith Jesus is calling for? Well, the big point is this. It's, it's not about the strength of faith. It's not about how hard the disciples believed. Uh, he compares in his in verse 20 a faith to a mountain a mountain is just just a, it's a figure Jesus uses to describe something permanent fixed to us obviously mountains wear out before god but to us, we go to a mountain when we're five and we go back there when we're 85. it's not going to move it's going to remain fixed and it's huge as well and there's a deliberate extreme going on there so saying this. Faith that size can move a mountain that big. Say faith the size of a teaspoon can fill up an ocean. Faith faith the size of a, a grain of sand. You can you take it and you can weigh down all the paper in the world. Jesus is saying it's not about the strength of faith. You're weak. The power is in me. What then is Jesus calling for? What kind of faith? What is mustard seed? Faith. As a faith that looks inside and realizes that all there is inside is empty weakness. It looks inside and all it finds is a cavern of powerlessness an inability to do anything truly to help yourself, never mind help others, anything truly to please God. That is what is inside of you. It's a faith that looks inside and finds emptiness as it reaches out, empty, hot hands and, and grasp God and grasp Christ. And the key in the illustration of verse 20 is not, not about the strength that you reach out with. A beggar, he knows he has nothing and reaches out with an empty hand, it doesn't matter whether the beggar reaches out and his hand is shaking or his hand is strong. The point is that you do reach out, that you do realise you need God, that what you can't do can be done by Christ in you. He says, how long am I to bear with you? He's saying to disciples, don't you see? Don't you see that the whole point is that you need me. That's what I'm here for. And yet you've gathered around me thinking that I am the source of your glory do you see that you need me? Perhaps so, this morning your heart's for doubting as you read Jesus' promise in verse 20 that master must faith can move a mountain. And you think, really? Really, if I left this room after this and got down on my knees and prayed to God and said, move that mountain, God would do it? But I think you're right to think that won't happen uh, for two reasons. The first is this. The heart that goes to God and says move that mountain, ultimately the run-of-the-mill heart, the run-of-the-mill Christian, ultimately it, it is a heart uh, that wants to glorify itself. It's the same heart that the disciples have here is a heart that wants to have a powerful prayer that moves the mountain so it can say, look, look what my prayers can do, look how strong my faith is. Which is asking against what Jesus is saying here, it's the opposite of the point he's making. The point he's making, secondly, is that not promising unlimited power, not promising that is going to be some kind of demigod, no, the point he's making is nothing is impossible for God, nothing is impossible for him, he can move mountains if he wants, and he responds to those who reach out their hands, whether or not they're trembling, whether or not they're weak. The disciples' little faith, what was their problem? Well, they looked inside and they thought they found power. They looked inside and they thought they found strength. And isn't that the root of our failure? When we evangelize, don't we think sometimes it's our wisdom that we need to convert people? Or don't we think that it's, it's our discipline, our habits of life that are defeat sin? Don't we think that By our strength, we're going to build up whatever church we're at. We're going to be the pillar of that church. And Jesus says, stop. Stop instead. Come to me. Yes. Exercise discipline. Yes, exercise wisdom. Uh, But don't believe that flows from you, from something inside of you. He said, reach out your hand and take mine which is really good news for us this morning because if you feel weak if you're someone who in a lockdown and has struggled with doubts in one sense good because it's true we are weak Leave is prayer we prayed before the sermon i am an empty vessel i am weak and feeble in faith if you're a christian overcome by the weakness of your own self. That is good news because you're waking up from your delusion. Waking up from the belief that you have some kind of inherent power in you to do what Christ calls us to do. And here's the promise for you. Here's the promise. God responds in power to those who come even though their faith is like a mustard seed. Even though their faith is teeny tiny. He responds Your strength of believing does not limit him. No, he delights to fill up any who come to him and reach out empty, wretched hands. Perhaps, perhaps actually the opposite is true for you this morning. Instead of feeling weak, you feel strong. You can look back over your past life and, and you can see all sorts of ways that you succeeded. You can see uh, ways in which your words have brought people to church. Your words uh, have caused people to turn to Christ. You can look back at your life and you can see ways in which you have actually helped church significantly. Maybe here at Christ Church over the last three, three year, years, the way your presence has actually been a massive help to church. Or maybe if you look back at see ways in which there was a sin you used to struggle with, uh, but that's gone. You no longer struggle, struggle with it anymore. that is you, you feel proud and strong this morning. Remember, you are weak. You are weak. Uh, be humbled. Those things that you have succeeded to do, they're amazing, they're good, they're great. But it's not your power that did them. It was Christ in you. Christ through you, Christ can do in us what we can never do in ourselves. The truth is, he can only do that if he dies for us. Verse 22, 23, but only if he dies for us. Jesus says, how long, how long must I be with you? And you can hear the frustration in his voice. But I wonder if you can hear the pain. He's been around the disciples for so long and they're still not responding, they're still not coming to him, confessing they need him, that they are weak. And he we see they're around him, looking for their own glory, seeing that he has power and thinking, ha, I can get my own power here. So how long? He says, the answer would be forever. Unless Jesus died for them. Even in, in the way he predicts his death, uh, he's prophesying that the disciples' hard hearts will continue up to the moment that he dies. He says, "The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men—delivered, betrayed, handed over." Who betrays Christ? One of his own, Judas. With those hard hearts, and what do the other disciples do when he betrays Christ? They don't stand by him. They flee. They run. They betray him. Jesus' pain, how long, he says. He, his pain is that he's been betrayed by hard hearts. And so he sets his face to the cross once more, 22 and 23, because he knows that is the only hope for them. He knows the only hope for us, is that he dies for us, because when he dies, he rises again. And when he rises again, He sends his spirit to cleanse hearts. Didn't he say that in John 14? He says, it's better for you that I go away. It's better. Because then I can send my spirit to you and soften your hard hearts and change who you are. We don't need to suffer anymore under the delusion that we are strong enough to do what Christ calls us to do because he sends his spirit to give us the strength to do what he calls us to do. the coronavirus, the lockdown. It's stripped all sorts of things away from us in church, hasn't it? It It's reduced this service itself, a skeleton of what it was before. It's taken away our midweek groups. It's taken away children's work. It's taken away fellowship of believers, if we're honest. Uh, We spend less time together as a result. And we tend to think, we tend to think that once we have all those things back, then the church will begin to look powerful again we look weak right now but once church is up and running as it was pre-covid we look powerful again but the power the glory of the church is not in church returning to normal we think that don't we we think that once church goes back to normal it'll all be good but the power is in christ yes he works through normal things so it's good for us to want them back yes he works through normal services and normal the fellowship of believers. The power is not in those things. The power is in him. So is, is it possible that God has withdrawn these things from us so that we run to him, so we realise how weak we are? We conceive ourselves, we're deluded. Week by week, even when church is normal, we can think that actually the power is in us. It's possible that God has withdrawn those things from us so we realise how weak we are. How much we need him. And wouldn't it be be amazing if, God willing, things do return to normal. We come back stronger. Not weaker. Stronger not because we found some strength in us over lockdown. But stronger because we are more dependent on the one who is truly strong. Which is, of course, Christ and pray for us as we finish. Our Father, we are empty vessels. We pray that you'd fill us. We are weak and feeble in faith. We pray that you have strengthened us. Lord God, uh, help us to see where we think we are strong, where we delude ourselves. And instead, show us how weak we are and how much we need to depend on Christ for everything we do. We pray that you'll be building this church Enter a pillar, uh, giving it strength, and uh, not because we are ourselves stronger, but because we are more dependent on you. Uh, we pray that uh, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.